Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Wednesday, November the 27th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. I'm joined today by three distinguished members of our politics team in the form of Pat Leahy, Thea Kelly and Harry McGee as the nation holds its breath in anticipation of the four by-elections due this Friday in Dublin, Cork and Wexford. Only kidding. In fact, I think it is fair to say that the national imagination remains largely ungripped by these particular contests. Pat, as I'm sure you recall, uh, the author... Jorge Luis Borges compared the Falklands War to a fight between two bold men over a comb. Uh, that could be applied to these particular contests too. Was that Borges or was it Terry Keane? Uh, but, um, well, I mean, I, I did a column last weekend suggesting that while people may quite understandably not be paying too much attention to these by-elections, in actual fact, the fact that there, there are four of them and because of some of the dynamics at play in the uh, in the by-elections and the fact that they are probably six months at most before a general election, while the results may not matter a huge amount in themselves in terms of who gets elected, they will still tell us some important things. So while public disinterest is uh, entirely understandable I, I think that there will there. be that's uninterest not disinterest it's quite the sparring going on here between the two of them over <laughs> grammar the, and quotations isn't it while, <laughs> while, while the lack of interest amongst we'll, the we'll public run a, we'll run a contest maybe understandable it is not entirely warranted, is what I was going to say. Let's get into the nitty-gritty of them, Pat. Uh, we'll start with you, Fick, because you were down in Wexford, and in a way, a lot of the focus uh, over the last few days has been down in Wexford because of the, the controversy around comments by, uh, by Verona Murphy. And Leah Varadkar played a, paid a flying visit down to Wexford a, a couple of days ago, and you were there, and you recorded bits of audio uh, for us. Um, here's the first. Go ahead, yeah. Sorry, apologies. The by-elections are Friday, so I appreciate your number one, Verona. No problem. Thank you very much. Very much. Same, same thing as a toy show, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think we've got the title for our podcast. It's a toy show election, uh, Fiak. It's, he was really in and out fairly fast down there with her. How long? 40, 40, 45 minutes or so? 40, 45 minutes. But he did have lunch with her um, for about, I think, an hour or so before that. So he went from Blanchardstown in his constituency to Wexford. They had lunch somewhere around Wexford Town or, or, or near there. And then they went on a very speedy canvas. He was expected down there the previous Friday to canvas with Verona Murphy, but that was pulled uh, and they uh, moved it to Monday. Now, a Friday and a Monday on one of the busiest uh, shopping streets in a provi- in kind of a regional town like Wexford is a it's a world of difference. And a Friday it's going to be busy, and a Monday it's not going to be busy. And so approved, there were very few people around. It was kind of a dull, dreary day. <clears throat> really quick, speedy canvas run through shops, kind of chaperoned by the imperious Avril Doyle, who was almost canvassing herself and putting herself front and center of, of, of most things that happened. Um, but the curious thing about it was that there wasn't much mention of the controversy. You know, it was a quick, you know, here's the T-shirt, here's our candidate, shake hands. 
move on. The only hint you got of kind of, um, I suppose, someone who didn't like the both the T-shirt and the candidate was someone who in 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 a bookshop who just kind of said, "No, I'm I'm fine. Thank you very much." Most of the people were engaging with both the candidate and the T-shirt. But the interesting thing I thought is that when you listened to like you know the patter of you know the small talk the kind of encouragement to come out and vote and you hung behind and spoke to people who would just you know being canvassed you'd ask them okay are you going to vote for Verona Murphy a lot of them said oh you know there are a lot of candidates in the field I'll have to read up on it I'm not quite sure so while they were being friendly it wasn't necessarily following through that they were committing for a number one vote I, but then the interesting thing on top of that was that they also seemed to like Faradkar but while not committing to the candidate. So they were kind of intrigued by him. You know, he's, he's famously awkward in situations like this and he's not the most natural canvasser. His small talk is... He but he's Leo, they know from he's, the telly. Yeah, he's, so he turns up and they're kind of, you know, impressed by him and, you know, the kind of women would say, oh, he looks very handsome and he's very tall and these type of things. And, you know, they say, oh, well, he's a straight shooter. He's, a, you know, he tells it like it is with something I heard once or twice. So, you know, the thing, I've, I've been on a couple of canvases with him now through a couple of campaigns and like he is getting better in his engagement with people but maybe that's not necessarily the handicap everybody assumes it to be the people think I that think if you're going to like yeah. if you're going to be like you know Bertie the hard working man people think that translates the vote but no like you know I stood there and watched him kind of engage with a, a woman in a dry cleaners about a stain that came back on his toy it was you know a white stain that came back no excruciating conversation <laughs> But still, she was fascinated by him. She thought, you know, he's got like a seem, you know. We we did, the, the political correspondents who know Varadkar well and have followed him for years uh, have commented a lot on his awkwardness in these kind of social situations that you would expect most politicians by nature of what they have had to do to get to elected office tend to be good at. They tend to be natural in company, in crowds and that. Varadkar isn't. But I, I, I wonder, are we overestimating the importance of that? Because that sort of reaction that Fiek has been uh, uh, describing to Varadkar in Wexford, you and I, Hugh, saw much the same with him in Glenty's last year when he was up at the McGill Summer School. And, uh, you know, why is that important? I think it's important because I think that Varadkar's personal campaigning performance in all its aspects will be really, really important in the general election campaign when it comes. And if we are right that this sort of awkwardness, which we've always assumed would be a big handicap in that respect, isn't in fact a handicap, then I think that's that's good news for Fiat. Right, that, that's very interesting, and we we'll probably return that in a little while. But just to just to focus again on the on the Verona Murphy issue, uh, and Harry, I'll come to you in a sec first. But first, we want to hear another clip, and just to remind our listeners, just in case they've they've forgotten, which is unlikely, that last week uh, Verona Murphy made comments about ISIS being a large part of the migrant population. We got a couple of reactions to that because uh, some listeners felt we dismissed that too quickly. So just to be absolutely clear, that the top ten countries from which migrants arrive into Ireland here. Nine of them are, are European and the tenth is Brazilian and really there isn't much evidence of much ISIS support amongst those. So there really wasn't, there was little, there was no in fact scientific evidence or statistical evidence to, evidence to back up those assertions. Not even among the red-haired Brazilian dwarves uh, is there. Well we'll get to Fingal in a moment Pat but 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 first let's hear what Verona Murphy had to say. Asher, look, please God we get over. Busy, busy, busy. We have till Friday now anyway and that's it. So uh, all I'd 
this is, could you have a number one for the woman? <laughs> From the women. So Harry, you were writing about this in the Irish Times Political Digest more broadly uh, today about these these murmurings of, of you know, anti-immigrant sentiment starting to rise up in the Irish political system. Yeah, I think it's become um, more evident. Uh, the one thing that struck me about the whole uh, Wexford visit by Leo Varadkar on Monday is that clearly, like the um, three-year-old ISIS toddler jihadists, uh, Verona Murphy has been reprogrammed by Fine Gael and will, we won't hear a peep out of her for the next uh, four days uh, about immigrants or anything to do with it. But it's certainly become a trope uh, in Irish politics uh, certainly over the last couple of years, but it's, it's gained momentum over the past month. But it's very hard to, uh, to, to make any assessment at the moment if it's going to become something that uh, will become a, a, an electoral phenomenon as it has in most uh, European countries. I was in Zagreb last week at the annual Congress of the European People's Party and the whole debate there centred around trying to find out the identity of what is the centre-right these days. And the centre-right in Europe is under threat uh, from populist parties, from immigrant parties. And even within the EPP, there is a ferocious debate uh, between uh, mostly Eastern European countries who would take a very hardline stance on immigration and they'd be personified by the likes of Viktor Orban and his Fidesz party in Hungary. And then the incoming president of the EPP, uh, the outgoing European Council president, Donald Tusk, uh, who would be very much more in line with Angela Merkel, the German chancellor, who says that migration, legal migration is necessary uh, and trying to distinguish uh, between those that Europe needs and those that are coming in. That's very uh, interesting you should basis. say that because, I mean, we had Jan Werner Muller, uh, who's the author of a um, very well-regarded book about the rise of populism in, in contemporary politics in, in a few months ago. I think it was in May. And one of his key points was about the responsibility of the centre-right parties in this situation with the rise of, pop- of populism and anti-immigrant sentiment. And he was highly critical of the parties who are essentially those parties you're talking about in the EPP, about their tendency to nod and to wink and when necessary to go into coalition with some of these parties who he argues would never be able to achieve political power without that support from the centre-right. Yeah, I mean, what, what some parties are doing, it's the old Bill Clinton, Tony Blair trick of triangulation. If, if a populist movement arises uh, that's um, espousing policies uh, that are to, more to the right of centre-right parties, uh, what they do to take back that constituencies is they become a little bit more right-wing themselves and they take a harder anti-immigrant line so as to not to lose uh, some of their own support. But that is a fraying process because the more you do that, uh, once you start doing it, the more you're compelled to do it. And before you know it, you're at a more extreme position than you perhaps had envisaged in the first place. And we've seen that happening with a couple of parties, especially in Scandinavia, the centre-right parties in Scandinavia and in, in... in some of the north uh, eastern European countries, have all veered very sharply to the right in the past couple of I years. I should say also that you know migration and migration policy and demographic policy are perfectly legitimate sources of political debate and discussion. And things like projections for the increase in Ireland's population and what that means for the change for changes in the country itself in, in in government plans are absolutely should be should not be taboo or off the table. Well, there's been sort. massive migration to Ireland over the past decade. I mean, we, we, we're we focusing on asylum seekers. Actually, the PAC had a periodic report yesterday that said about 3,500 came in last year, which is higher than it has been in previous years. But it's a minuscule figure in comparison to the population as a whole, and also in relation to the number of 
uh, immigrants who come to Ireland uh, every year, uh, both on visas or who have had permits to work or who come from other European countries. And I mean, uh, over 10% of the population now wasn't born in Ireland. And that figure will continue to rise. And that's all happened in a very short period of time in, in a, a generation. Now, it has given rise to uh, xenophobia and anti-immigrant uh, sentiment. The difficulty is that it hasn't fastened on any particular party. No party has exploited it in Ireland as yet. We've had a couple of splinter parties that have grown up uh, but haven't really survived. And none of the mainstream parties have appropriated any of the policies. And one of the things that seems to me to be very interesting is that when you actually parse the immigration policies of all the major parties, they don't really have any. They're almost afraid uh, to deal with this over over the sensitivities that are involved in case they're going to be accused of racism. We'll come back to this a little bit. I just wanted to focus a little bit back on, on Verona Murphy. You know, um, when she talked about migrants, do you think that was a slip of the tongue in relation to ISIS? Or do you think that's a coded way in the way that perhaps Ahari is talking about is that concerns about... Um, you know, direct provision centres and things like that are projected onto a more broader anti-migrant sector. I don't think, I certainly don't think it was a slip of the tongue because she said it on numerous occasions. She said it three times, both to, her, to ourselves, to Jennifer, um, to RT and to the extra people. So it certainly wasn't a slip of the tongue, nor do I think it was a kind of orchestrated wink by Fine Gael to that constituency of people. I think it was perhaps a genuinely held view of hers like, let's bear in mind her background. She's president of the Irish Road Haulage Association. She's dealing with people who are coming from continental Europe, uh, you know, bringing trucks and lorries across uh, from France and the UK to Ireland. Like, I, this is a subject I'd say she deals every day. She was probably reflecting conversations she has with people in that business. So I, would imagine, I think they are her viewpoints. I don't necessarily think, you know, and this has been suggested by people in Fianna Fáil, in particular in recent days, that this is a whole orchestrated thing by Fine Gael, that they would manufacture this controversy and there would be publicity around their candidate and it would be a nod and a wink to the people who believe, uh, you know, those kind of anti, vaguely anti-immigrant sentiments. I'm not sure if that's the case, but, you know, last week the, the kind of kind of taken, the, the perceived wisdom was, oh, she'll be select, deselected after this is done. Don't know because it depends how well she does. Like the, the people in Fine Gael say she's doing very well on the ground. I don't think it's assumed that she'll win. I think there's a view that she may come a strong second place, get a decent first preference vote. She leaks soft Fine Gael votes, liberal Fine Gael votes away to Labour and the Greens. She won't get transfers in Labour and the Greens. She might get votes from elsewhere. But then that presents the party with a conundrum. What do they do in that situation because she will have done well. And then the cabinet minister said to me yesterday, they said, yeah, well, you know, look what's happened in the last week. What happened at Ross Lair? We had, you know, people kind of, you know, in 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 seeking international protection and then moving on. So maybe the, maybe this is, I'm not saying it is, maybe it may move to shift Fine Gael slightly on this view, on this particular but, subject. But the consequences, I was referring to earlier, in terms of the dynamics that are at play and what these results will teach us, the dynamics are far greater, or the consequences are far greater than just for Fine Gael. So if Verona Murphy does well after the most... Uh, identifiable thing about her campaign is whether she wins a seat or whether she comes close to winning a seat, whether she grows a vote there. Um, the, after the most identifiable thing about her campaign has been comments, adverse comments about immigrants, then that will send a signal to every single candidate who's running for every single party in the general election next year. And that is the sort of thing that does move Much the like, dial as to where the centre is. Now, Much Harry like, is right that there isn't really an immigration debate in this country, partly because this country has a very strict immigration policy for legal immigration. It has a very strict immigration policy from outside the EU, 
but the vast majority of our migrants come from uh, within the EU. And that is not a matter that is up for political debate um, in terms of freedom of movement, either here or in, uh, or in the EU. But if she does well, I think that shifts the debate. A bit. I do want to, we want to get through the various constituencies here. here. I, I have no doubt we're <coughs> going to re- return to this subject in the, in the aftermath of these by-elections uh, so as we've well. we dealt with the constituency of Syria, so where are we moving to yes, next? Well, <laughs> well, well, we've had a, a Damascian conversion. Um, <laughs> moving on to Dublin Fingal, uh, Harry, because you were there. There are two Dublin commuting uh, constituencies, I suppose, um, Fingal and Dublin Midwest. Uh, you were in Fingal and uh, you had a chat with the Green candidate, Joe O'Brien. I think we can win it. I think we can win it because it's a by-election. I think we can win it because of a very practical point. People recognise that they have a TD from all the other parties here. They don't have a green TD. And so I put it to them, well, do you want to add value to your set of TDs? And the best way to add value isn't, that, isn't to add a second TD from another party, it's to add a green. I think a lot of people are now recognising the value of a green. With all that's been going on nationally and on media and concerns raising about climate change, it's hitting home to people. They're seeing it as well in our own climate here in Ireland as well. And they know they need people who are committed, not just talking green and putting green clothes on, but who will actually make the hard decisions when it comes to it. Now, not surprising that he's you know very optimistic about his, his chances in the constituency, and, and, and I'm guessing that you're going to tell me that he has a chance. But he also raises a couple of interesting points. You know, Do people vote differently in, in by-elections of this sort, you know, to send a message of, of some sort? I mean, I don't know. Is there much evidence for that? They do. I mean, uh, one of the things that has struck me about these by-elections is because of the, the lack of engagement and the lack of issues. People talk about local issues, but local issues aren't really all that important in the context of a by-election. They become a kind of a, uh, an opportunity for voters to express a kind of a broad brush sentiment about the government or about a political party or about the state of things. Engagement is very low. Turnout is going to be very low. And uh, what happens is essentially that, that people go out and vote and they sometimes want to vote to give the government a bit of a kicking or to promote one candidate who they, who they think is particularly uh, uh, eye-catching at present. They might like the cut of that particular candidate. Do we have any chip. evidence at all, you know, the people who do go out to vote, let's say it's a very low turnout and very low turnouts are being predicted, I think, particularly in the in the, in the the Dublin constituencies. Are the people who end up going out to vote the people who always vote, who by definition very often vote for the more centrist or conservative parties or people who are still really pissed off about something and go out in that I, place? I think those who will vote in these by-elections are those who are most engaged. I think that if you're looking for a very big youth vote, this isn't the occasion where, where, where it will come out. There is no evidence that any of the parties has really motivated a, a massive youth vote. So what's happened in uh, Dublin Fingal is very like what's happened in Wexford. You had a, a leading candidate who uh, embroiled herself with controversy over remarks, this time mostly directed against the uh, travelling This is Senator Lorraine Clifford Lee. Yeah, and she was, she was always going to be the front, front runner. But even without a scintilla of controversy, I think she would have had a very tall order in terms of actually winning uh, the seat. If you go back to the last by-election in Dublin Fingal in 1998 to replace Ray Burke, who resigned from the Doyle at the time, uh, the Fianna Fáil candidate was Michael Kennedy and he got 31% of the vote but still didn't get elected because he just couldn't uh, attract transfers. And that was her difficulty. She, if, to, to win a by-election, you need 50% plus one. So it means that you have to get your core support, but you also have to be attractive uh, to to uh, supporters of other parties and none. And I think Fianna Fáil, in a, in a constituency like Dublin Fingal, which isn't, I mean, they're strong there, but it isn't a heartland constituency like Carla Kilkenny or Lee Shawfully or some of the Cork constituencies. Uh, so I think she always would have had a struggle there. But I think that the controversy 
uh, that engulfed her has really put paid to her chances of winning this election and we have to look to elsewhere to see. And given that people aren't really holding out much hope for James O'Reilly returning to the Dáil for Fine Gael, what does that make it? A contest sort of on the on the left, centre-left, green yeah, I think kind of Fine, area? I think Fine Gael are, are in a bit of uh, difficulty there. They have a lot of candidates who are former TDs uh, scattered around the country and who are worthy and who are uh, people who are, are competent but certainly aren't the kind of eye-catching candidate that the party might hope to attract. Fine Gael in by-elections in the past and in general elections and euro elections has been in thrall uh, to celebrities. They love celebrities. If you remember George Lee in Dublin South, as it was then, in 2009, I think. Uh, it's uh, somewhat stretching the definition of the term celebrity to well, apply it to Dr. Riley, I would have thought. Well, well yes, not to Dr. Riley, but they, they, Maria Walsh, for example, in the European elections, they have plundered most of the uh, GA, ex-GA managers in the country and former GA players Alan Dillon a Mayo star, for example, will now be running for the party in Mayo. But James Riley doesn't really have that kind of cachet. And uh, I was out, as uh, Fiuk was saying, canvassing uh, with him and Leo Varadkar in Swords. And all the attraction uh, was towards the Taoiseach. Everybody wanted to take a selfie with him. Miriam Lord wrote a very good, just going back to that initial conversation, Miriam Lord wrote an amazing piece about Leo Varadkar at his first ploughing championship uh, after he became Taoiseach. And she contrasted him to Andy Kenny. And when Andy Kenny goes down there, he's how your horse, backslapping, kicking tyres, jumping up on tractors. Leo Radker had to be pushed out to meet the crowd. But then, once the phot- photographs started clicking and once the selfie started, he, there was a transformation and he was kind of in his natural milieu. And uh, I think we need to get a psychologist in here about this thing. <laughs> no, but the, the, the point is that he, his, his style of campaigning uh, isn't what we would associate with a traditional Irish politician. But he certainly he's he's uh, he's kind of like a millennial in the way he goes about, and he certainly has a huge appeal to anybody who has a mobile phone or anybody who is who is uh, uh, familiar with technology. And I think that's been a very effective way for him. He doesn't need to press the flesh; he just needs to be but, there. But, but he is he is going back to the Fine Gael obsession with celebrity candidates. He is the biggest political celebrity in Ireland, and he says he's a true celebrity in that he 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 transcends mm. political boundaries and pe- even people who are not interested in politics. They know who he is. Yeah, there's, there's the area of the exotic. So just briefly returning to Dublin Fingal. So if James Riley and Lorraine Clifford Lee are out of the equation, I think the contest is going to boil down to a, a slugfest between Joe O'Brien of the Green Party and Duncan Smith, a, a, a swords-based councillor with the Labour Party, who's also young, very dynamic, very energetic. Uh, the Labour Party had a very bad election there in 2016, but seemed to have bounced back. It's a strong constituency for them. So I think whichever of them could stay ahead of the other person and attract sufficient transfers uh, will be the new Because they'll probably transfer strongly between each other. So yeah. one, when one goes out, will put the other one in. Yeah. Interestingly, the regional disparity will come into play here because Joe Bryan is from the Northern Ireland constituency. He's based in Scaries. James Riley traditionally, you know, is from like, a, well, the strong Fine Gael voting towns are Malahide and Scaries. James Riley's from the North End. So let's say Riley does particularly poorly in first preference votes and comes down the pecking order behind Lorraine Cliffordley, behind Duncan Smith, behind... Joe O'Brien, if it's a north or end of the constituency middle class vote, you'd have to think that could go towards the green. Because speaking to people who have been out canvassing for a lot, not a lot of parties say, look, Joe O'Brien's name recognition is very poor. He was only elected to the council six months ago. But the green brand is so strong. So towns like Malahide, Port Marnock, Scaries, the green brand is really, you know, people saying I'm voting green. I think the, the, the key question is going to be whether Duncan Smith, who's the only Swords-based candidate, can come out of Swords with a strong enough first preference vote 
to put him in that unassailable lead? That's going to be the key question when the boxes are open Saturday. Fianna Fáil admit that Lorraine Clifford Lee is damaged. Some people who are working with her say she may, she don't write her off completely, but it's hard to see how she can recover at this stage. But I think the regional transfer pattern is going to be as interesting here as the pattern between the left parties. But, I, you know, the more interesting thing for the parties, I would argue, possibly on Saturday is the transfer patterns hmm. kind of ascertaining can, where Can I just ask you one go. more thing about that before we move on to, to mm. Dublin Midwest which is that in this constituency and, and also in Wexford this talk of a bit of a labour revival or a relatively strong labour mm. performance you know all the focus is on the green wave and mm. that but labour have opportunities Yeah and like let's not forget that you know with all the talk of the green wave in the local elections labour actually you know got more seats than them uh, that was often forgotten. Poll at the weekend and the Business Post had Labour on 6% up to the Greens on 7 The Greens haven't really budged in national polls in the last six months. So perhaps we're overlooking the Labour Party. I do think, as Harry says, they have a deep, deep roots in both these constituencies. They have a councillor in every ward in Fingal. I think they got about 14, 15% of the first preference brought to local elections. Second. Yeah. So like, and these, they still have TDs in both constituencies. These are two constituencies where they have deep roots. So... They're looking for a good performance here. And I think if they were to get one elected, if, like, let's say, for every sake, Duncan Smith was elected, it would be a huge shot in the arm for him. Absolutely. Younger TD, new generation, kind of someone who's below 50 in the parliamentary party, I think, would be a breath of fresh air for him. That would be a big thing. Now, moving on to Midwest. Midwest is a constituency, again, a little bit like Fingal in that huge development there over the last uh, over the last few years. I was listening to a good report by Ken McCormick and RTE from it last week where he's talking about the problems were problems of traffic congestion, bad public transport, uh, new new housing developments that weren't serviced properly by shopping centres and schools and all that kind of, all those kind of issues. I don't know who that benefits in an election like this, but Well, the word from the ground in Midwest and FIAC has been out there is that Paul Gogarty, the former Green Independent, um, is going very well, but it's really, it's the big hope for, I think, for uh, for Fine Gael. It, this is kind of ground zero. I think for these uh, for these campaigns, they don't expect to win in Cork. They're afraid of winning in Wexford. They've written off uh, Fingal. So Midwest is where, because I think to come back with no seats whatsoever from the four votes on uh, on Can you explain Friday to me why be... Midwest is a, is, a, is a legitimate target? Frances Fitzgerald was a big beast and of the political jungle and she was yep. the most prominent Fine Gael woman. She was the most senior. Fine Gael. Two seats there and then not too Minister. distant. Fa- I, I, had a look, I had a look at the, at the last general election. The two Fine Gael candidates between them got 26% of the vote. But that's, you know, that's something, but it's not a lot, is it? Is it enough it's, to it's a big, win I mean, in a by-election? It's, it's kind of urban and rural. So you have Rathcool and Newcastle and then Lucan, which is very middle class. So like Mary Harney was was a TD there as well and she always got a very big uh, vote, mm. especially in the rural part of, of the constituency. But there was also a big Sinn Féin vote, a big It's a divided constituency between working class and middle class, but it's a little bit like Dublin West, for example, mm. where you get kind of Castleknock versus the kind of Multoddard mm. and places like, like, like that. So I, th- I think, um, you know, Fine Gael have, a, have always had a biddable chance there. She performed particularly well. She's from Rathcool. I think her biggest... Uh, deficit is that she is from the rural part of the constituency and most of the votes a little bit like Dublin Fingal with Swords and Malahide uh, will centre around the, the, the Lucan area so she needs to be very strong in Lucan But if Fine Gael isn't chance. picking up strong votes in those urban middle class constituencies it's picking them up nowhere Fine Gael are also aided I think in this constituency by the fact that there's a new Fianna Fáil candidate out there Fianna Fáil lost uh, they lost their seats out there um, in the Great Massacre of 2011 but John Kern came back rebuilt the local organisation he's the sitting TD and 
No doubt, like all sitting TDs, he's campaigning enthusiastically <laughs> for uh, what would be his general election running mate. But um, I can see, despite the best efforts of the local TD, I can see some elements of the Fianna Fáil organisation there who might think there's only one seat for us I'm here. I'm sure John Curran yeah, is very, the, very, well, very They only, they only got that. 15% in the general election. Yeah. So there's I only mean, one they, seat for They have to have a dose of realism. The view of Fianna Fáil in this constituency is Shane Moynihan is their candidate give him a run out establish himself not for the next general election but for the general election thereafter that John Kern will hold the seat possibly next time and then maybe John Kern might not run again at the next general election and that's when Shane Moynihan will come this is about building a base for, for the future I was out there um, the Fine Gael thing I think Pat is right if Fine Gael hold this seat the teacher will be able to stand there on Saturday and say I always thought we'd only win one seat I thought it would be this one we have held our seats, so we haven't lost anything. We have held what we have. Therefore, it's a success. Governments don't win by elections. I think it's three in the last 29. They have won. So he, you can see that they are throwing everything at this. But the difficulty, you know, I think people in Fine Gael say, look, they did. They are throwing the kitchen sink at her. Half the PP looked like was out there over the weekend. Teacher has been there repeatedly. Is that she gets a, a, a strong first preference vote, but then falls away. Paul Gogarty is the most likely rival to her. So listen, talk to me about Paul Gogarty. Yeah. A colourful figure from the political past in a way. He was a TD for the Green Party. Um, he was noted for some extra parliamentary language he used about Emmett Stagg at one point. Um, he left um, He left politics, uh, had a had an attempt at a career as a pop star um, for a while um, and then came back into local politics and polled very well earlier this year. Yeah, he year. did very well. He ran in two wards in the uh, local elections. Won them, he got about 1,600 votes. He got about, I think, seven 800 votes. So he did quite well. Um, he has, you know, he's kind of this curious campaign. I was out with him in Adamstown last week, which, as you say, Hugh, is one of those, you know, brand new town built uh, from nothing in the mid noughties very poorly serviced by infrastructure and facilities. That was above everything else, up in the canvas, like big town, train station, community centre. The count is actually there on Saturday. But, you know, one shop, very little else. Um, but he's an interesting campaign. He's straddling you know, these two fashionable political brands, it's leaflets, you know, a green, the independent with the best green track record. So he's saying, I'm an independent, but I'm also tapping into the zeitgeist of, of green politics. He's, is a good local worker. You know, I think as that Michael Crick video showed in the last few days, they always bring you to their strongest place when you're going canvassing. Just to explain that for a moment, Michael Crick, the Channel 4's political correspondent, went out with a, with a Conservative candidate in the UK general election on a doorstep. Uh, the, 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 the person on the door told this Conservative candidate that he completely agreed with that candidate's suggestions that uh, people who engage in antisocial behaviour should be ma- made to live in tents in cold fields and got up first thing in the morning and sent to work uh, all day. And this was all wonderful, except that the same candidate had been uh, taped previously because he had been mic'd up previously and it was all a setup. He'd been on the phone to this guy. Yeah, it's worth to watch. Now, Gogarty did take me to Adamstown. There was a lot. He has worked that ground quite well, but a lot of people remembered him, you know. And, uh, He's a fairly he, memorable he, character. It's like, you know, but like, if I remembered him from my member, you did this and you did this in the community and you were there for us. And he is kind of that, you know, harmless independence. You know, Pinnegale voters who voted for Francis Fitzgerald remembered Francis Fitzgerald works did, oh, yeah, I'll probably vote for him at the by-election because it's a different type of election. He'll suck in transfers from everywhere. Um, the really interesting thing, I think, this is totally niche, but the, the interesting thing about the Greens just don't know how to handle this. They just don't know how to handle this because they've never had 
a green independent. I think said, like, you know, we've had gene pool independence. He's a green pool independent. They don't <laughs> no, know. Good, they don't know how to handle this. You and on that one. I'd I read, it was in print last week. If you read my constituency profile, <laughs> ah, no, we never do that. <laughs> but um, they don't know how to handle him because they've never had someone fishing out of their pool, and it's driving them absolutely crazy that you know Gogarty is there and he's you know rubbing their clothes. But he he, he could have a decent chance, and you know everybody in the constituency from you know Sinn Fein to Fianna Fáil think it's a two horse race between Higgins and himself. Okay. So, you know, left votes, where are they going to go? It might be a, just too much of a tall order for Emer Higgins this time, but much like Colin Burke from Fine Gael and Cork North Central, she doesn't get elected this time. She's odds on. She's well placed for general election. She will get elected. Yes, and finally, let's turn to Cork North Central. Um, the Fianna Fáil are pretty solid favourites for this one, is that fair to De- say? Definitely. And it, it's, it's probably as close as they have. Cork South Central and Cork North Central would almost be heartland constituencies for them, have been in the past. Billy Kelleher topped the poll and... Could, should really have run a second candidate with him in the in the last general election in 2016. Again, like uh, some of the Dublin constituencies, it's a mix between uh, urban and rural. You have places like uh, Blackpool, uh, um, Blarney, and then you go up to Mayfield, and then further north you can go up to places uh, like uh, where Billy Kelleher is based, Glanmire, uh, and right up as far as Kish came. So it's a, parts 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 of the constituency are very rural, and that's where Billy Keller's uh, core support would have come from. But then parts are uh, urban and poor and deprived and working class. So yeah, at the moment, you have two left-wing uh, candidate TDs there, uh, Mick Barry and Jonathan O'Brien of Sinn Féin, and then Fianna Fáil and uh, Fine Gael. But Fianna Fáil are definitely stronger than any other party there at present. Porik O'Sullivan actually has come in from Cork East. He wasn't a councillor based in that constituency, but he has been the favourite since the start and, uh, to me, looks mm-hmm. almost unassailable. One thing that has registered with Fianna Fáil on the canvas, you know, they are, they do believe that they are favourites, they should win the seat, that they have been, not surprised, but they're reporting back that Thomas Gould, the Sinn Féin candidate, is doing a bit better than they expected and that Colin Burke, the Fine Gael candidate, is doing a bit better than expected. So they think that they make a decent first preference votes as well. Colin Burke is now a senator. He was an MEP. Um, He's a substitute who became, uh, I think he was Simon Coveney's yes, substitute. But he has been involved in electoral politics for like since the early 80s, has count, like, you know, countless years service as a county councillor. And apparently, according to people on the canvas, that is coming back to him. People are going, ah, yeah, look, you've been around for so long. Probably not enough to get him elected this time. But again, with Dara Murphy's kind of stepping aside, it should be enough to see him through at a general election. Before I ask you to call them all, and I'm going to ask you to do that, uh, Pat, I want to ask you something, which is that we've talked about how important it is, the optics of actually winning a seat to Fine Gael, for example, and not losing all four. But how much more important, or is it more important, the actual vote share in these constituencies? In other words, is this a really significant straw poll on where the country's at six months out from a by-election? It's worth paying attention to, I think. Now, you know, we will be sitting in here digesting the results, presumably at some stage next week, and we will have to, uh, you know, we will have to apply lots of caveats to the results and the vote shares. But it does tell us some things. It might take a little bit of time to figure it out. But you look at things like the 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 the, the green part, the greens share of the vote in all the constituencies. Okay, you know, if they get candidates elected all the better. But in those Dublin constituencies, is there the sort of maintenance or increasing of the share of the vote that we saw in the local elections last uh, uh, last summer? And if there is, what does that mean then 
for the party's brand in the general election. Similarly with Labour, is there a recovery there, particularly in Dublin? So if Labour can win this seat in Dublin North or if it can in, in Dublin Fingal or if it can grow the... Uh, if it can grow the vote there, then you've got to think, well, maybe in constituencies like Louth and uh, Dublin Bay North, where the party is, you know, has put an awful lot of its hopes and efforts uh, into winning back seats held by Eona Reardon, Jed Nash. Then, you know, if it does well in Fingal, then the, we, we see that those are realistic hopes. And those sort of lessons can be taken from all the different uh, constituencies. You know, I mean, we will be eyeing up who are, who are the new TDs? Who has won? We'll be eyeing up the Fianna Fáil versus Fianna Gael head-to-head in, in Cork, in Wexford and that. And I think, you know, it, 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 while of course it's significant who wins the individual by-elections, I suspect the devil will be, will be in the detail and the real significance of these elections will be in the analysis of the uh, of the vote shares in each of the constituency with a view to the general election and what it tells us not just about these individual constituencies but about the national picture Sophia who's going to win the four seats um, Cork and Central Fianna Fáil I think Wexford Fianna Fáil I think Dublin Fingal oh, it's a toss up between the Greens and the Labour Party I'm going to go for the Labour Party and then in the remaining one in Dublin Midwest, I'm going to go for Paul Gogarty. Hang That's me next week. Two Fianna Fáil, one Labour, one Independent. Harry? Um, yeah, I think Porico Sullivan in Cork North Central, Malcolm Byrne in Wexford, Joe O'Brien in Dublin Fingal, and Paul Gogo Gogarty in Dublin Midwest. Um, the other thing of Dublin Midwest is I think the seat that would be vulnerable there in the general election would be Gino Kenny's one. Mm. Uh, People for Profit didn't have a great general election and there's a range of candidates there all of which will be kind of queuing up I think you'll have one Fianna Fáil one Fine Gael and one Sinn Féin TD after the next election so that fourth seat I think will be in play between Gino Kenny Go-go. uh Paul Gogarty uh, and Marie McNally from the Social Democrats as well as and not the, the Greens so the Greens are being no, ruled out by, the, by yeah, the they did very the well in the constituency and he topped the poll Peter, Peter Kavanagh yeah but um, you know I think Paul Gogarty has uh, to quote uh Sean O'Rourke uh, with Rory Quinn when he became Minister for Education. I think Paul Gogarty has ate his dinner. Okay. Uh, Pat, do you... It's tofu, actually. Do you, uh, <laughs> do you disagree with any of those? No, I, I don't. I, I think it is possible um, that Verona Murphy could win in Wexford. Well, that's very brave. But on balance, I think very it's brave. more likely. <laughs> just just preserve that, that clip just, there. Say that again, Pat. Okay, I would say it again, Harry. Uh, clean out your ears and listen. I think it is possible that she could win. But on balance, I think Malcolm Byrne is more likely to win. I think Boric Sullivan would probably win. I think on balance, I would probably agree with Fiek, who is a native son of Dublin Fingal, and say Duncan Smith probably ahead of Joe O'Brien of the Greens there. And... In Dublin Midwest, uh, I think possibly Emer Higgins might squeak it uh, on the basis that if she doesn't win, I think Fine Gael is probably facing a, uh, a complete whiteout. And I think that they will pull out all the stops in, in realisation of that. They will pull out all the stops. I think you will see uh, Taoiseach personally giving out leaflets 
out there on uh, on 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 polling been day. Been out a couple of times, and in the last he has. Few days, yeah, and I think it'll be out more. And I think that might just squeak it for Fine Gael. Okay, a bit of divergence on the Dublin <laughs> constituencies there, but more or less unanimity on Wexford and Cork North Central, with Pat's caveat that Verona Murphy might just squeak it. We will know in about three days' time, so stay tuned to IrishTimes.com. We'll be following all the election counts on Saturday, and then we'll be wrapping it up with the podcast in the not too distant future. After that. And that's it for today's podcast. Thanks to Pat Tafiak and to Harry. Our producers are Declan Conlon and Suzanne Brennan and our engineer is JJ Vernon. And remember, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast or whatever your preferred podcast provider might be. And you can also find us at irishtimes.com slash podcast. You can email me at hlinehan at irishtimes.com. Your views are always extremely welcome. And you can usually find me on Twitter. Until the next time, see you soon. You know, consulting firms are like onions. Layer after layer after layer after layer. You just don't get the answer or the person you need. You just get irritation. Ready for an approach with less bureaucracy? Welcome to Grant Thornton Audit Tax and Advisory. It's not status quo, it's status go. 